Welcome back to the Haber Show. We had a little bit of a break uh, over the holiday, but we are back as always with my man, Amin El Hassan. Amin, say hello. Hello. You got a new mic, so you, I thought last time you had the new mic and you were talking about hello. it, so I thought you'd have a little bit more gregarious hello. That new mic smell is worn off now. <laughs> um. We have a great guest today. His name is Brandon Payne. If you've listened to the show, you know Brandon as the uh, longtime trainer for uh, Stephen Curry, also working with Cam Reddish. In the past, um, we did a story together, Luka Doncic. Uh, I think Jalen Green was in that workout Jaylen too. Green, yeah. um, mm-hmm. yep, he's now yep. on that G League team. Uh, and Luka just had himself a pretty nice night last night. Uh, by the way, Rick Carlisle. Basically called out Luca last night, or this week he mentioned that Luca wasn't really in game shape yet because he thought the season was going to start in February. I think there's some other guys that can probably that fall into that category as well. <laughs> yeah, he's not out. the only one. Um, yeah, so we've got uh, lots to get into here. Golden State Warriors are back, um, and. Just wanted to get your read, Brandon, on how <laughs> they've looked recently because you might have a front row seat, uh, mm-hmm. figuratively speaking, to the Steph Curry experience and what that's been like over the past uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, it's kind of up and down. You know, the first two games, obviously, um, playing really good teams. And, you know, you're playing with guys that, that you haven't played with before that you're trying to learn how to help them be the best versions of themselves. Cause that's a leader's job. You know, you gotta, you're, you're really trying to help them be better versions of themselves. And, you know, I think part of the, you know, what happened in those first two games is you're dealing with a lot of guys that have never really had real success in the NBA that are on that roster. So if you saw some of the body language that happened, it was a lot of, you saw some of that, Oh, here we go again, body language. And, you know, and for Steph, it was, it was kind of tough to deal with because he's never had to deal with that before. And so I don't think he knew exactly how to react to it. So I think that led to a little bit of frustration. And then I think the light bulb just came on that, you know, he has to lead, uh, by example with this group, meaning he's got to be the guy that comes out early and is very aggressive trying to score. And I think what you've seen in the past few games is you're seeing his aggression, his rhythm, his confidence kind of rubs off on everybody else, as opposed to in the past when he's had guys that are, you know, ultra talented and just pros, pros, he could get guys involved earlier and he could get his later. You know, he was kind of always kind of said he's patiently aggressive. You know, he's aggressive getting other guys going early. Then he starts to get his going later this year. He's got to be a little bit more selfishly aggressive to help the guys around him feel more comfortable and feel more confident. So you get, again, the best versions of them uh, to help them learn how to win in the league, because it's not an easy thing to learn. And it's not something that can be learned overnight. I know they've looked good two nights in a row um, and it's fun but there's still there's a long road ahead of this group to uh to make the playoffs. And it's got to be frustrating also. You know I kind of likened it to when you play pickup. Everyone no matter what level of basketball you play at, you know you've been in the pickup games where the guys you're playing well, you might have just met them but they know how to play. Mm-hmm. And then you've been in the games where the guys don't know how to play. Uh and that's not I'm not trying to knock them as far as their talents but just in terms of some of the things in the rhythms of Golden State Warriors basketball that we've gotten accustomed to, like the give it up and then he relocates right to the corner, yep. where, you know, how many times have we seen 
either Iguodala or, or, or Bogut, whoever it is, know immediately, oh, he's going in the corner and throw it there. And now to see him do that and see guys have the ball and let it stick in their hands, that's got to be frustrating. It's like, no, 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 that's not how we do it. We do it like this. But the reality is, even for the guys that were here last year, this is their first time really being indoctrinated in the style of play. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's and it's still happened. Even the past two nights, there were still opportunities where, you know, guys just don't recognize that they need to pin, you know, just a quick tight pin to let him come off. And guys are occupying spots when they really need to move and the ball's not moving quite as fast as it needs to. So, you know, it, it's one thing you can get frustrated about it and, and you can complain about it or, you know, you can get mad about it or you can take on the role of a leader and and be a teacher and and, you know, take time out and, and try to show them, Hey, this was an opportunity we missed just because you didn't move. And I think to your point, they have a lot of guys, they have a lot of talented guys that do very specific things. Well, they have, you know, two very good guys in terms of uh, being defensive stoppers. They're long and athletic and guys that can be really aggressive on the ball that don't really, they've never played with a guy that, that moves and, and has to have some help from his teammates for him to, to be the best version of himself as well. So, you know, it's learning how to be purposeful with your, with your movement offensively. It's learning how to play with him, a guy who's thinking two or three passes ahead when he gives the ball up and understanding that I can't stand here. If I stand, I'm wrong. I either got a screen or I've got a cut, you know, because the gravity that Stefan pulls with him when he moves kind of gets bogged down when other people are standing. Uh, so it's a, it's a learning process and it's still, uh, it's still a long way away from being really good. Uh, but it is getting better. I get, I could not and the, the warriors slander, um, I guess you call it in 2021 is, is it's not enough to say criticism. You have to call it slander, but the idea that yeah. this, this warriors team, how they perform in the first five games was an indictment against Steph Curry. And I'm sitting here like, do we forget about Draymond Green? Like, do we forget about having like a high IQ player on the floor who knows Stephen Curry knows his game and knows where everyone's supposed to be? Cause it's, it's not just that they lost Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. It's also Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Bogut, these adults in the room, right on the court. They, they have this acute basketball IQ and it's the first time I've ever seen Stephen Curry almost like call out his teammates. You notice like when he's talking about, hey, our basketball IQ has to be a little bit better out there. Mm-hmm. Like to me, their resurgence, like because you've worked so much with Stephen over the years, you're going you're gonna to harp on his leadership and, and what he needs to do better or, or where he needs to have his mindset. But I just point to the fact Draymond's back. Like Draymond mm-hmm. makes things so much easier, not just for Steph, but for everybody else. That is if you're listening to him or you're willing to listen to Draymond yeah. because Draymond Green is the steering. Like if Steph Curry is the engine of this team, Draymond is the steering wheel, right? Sure. You, you can have an amazing uh, engine with a billion horsepower in it. But like, if you don't know how to drive that, like it, it ain't going to go anywhere. So mm-hmm. Draymond, not just as a floor general, but as someone who knows exactly where Steph is going to be, uh, where everyone else needs their shots, or how to space the floor. Like, Draymond is, is incredible. You know he has six points in three games. He has six points in three games, and he's completely changed everything about this team. Well, what he is, ultimately, is uh, another layer of accountability. 
And in order for teams to have success in the NBA, there's three things that have to be present at all times. You have to have discipline. You have to have direction as a team. And there has to be accountability both on the, on the bench and on the floor. And Draymond provides that accountability. He provides a little bit of additional direction as well. Um, you know, the discipline's got to come a little bit more from – front office and coaching staff, which will surely come around. And that's the other thing that, that, you know, we're not taking into account necessarily is when you talk about the, the mix of players that this coaching staff had to work with over a long period of time, you know, they didn't have to micromanage, you know, these were, these were guys, when you talk about Iguodala, Livingston, you know, you're talking about uh, KD and Clay Thompson and Steph, you know, David West, you know, guys like that mm. that knew day in and day out what they needed to do to come in and do their job at the highest levels. Now you have a group of guys that you have to micromanage. You know, you have to show them this is what you've got to do to come in and have success in the NBA. And then this is what you have to come in and do to have success here in the NBA. And that's a that's another little kind of stress point or, or, you know, energy drainer that the staff has to deal with as well is they have to adjust to being a little bit more hands-on with guys where in the past they could be a little bit more game plan oriented. They could be more preparation oriented. Now they're really having to step into that developmental role in addition to all the game prep. And that just, that's another layer of, of, um, you know, another layer of work that, that that comes into the play here and so it's everybody that's making adjustments so it's going to be a work in progress and it's there's going to be you know it's going to be a little of this there's going to be a little roller coasters there's going to be some ups and some downs um but that happens throughout any nba season and you have to have guys like draymond and guys like Stefan that have been through it they can help these guys stay kind of even keel and not get too high and too low through this process. What did you call it? I mean, Bo- box score. What, when, when people talk about Draymond, I think it was, you, you were talking box score Nate horse. <laughs> yeah. Box score horse. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you only had go. three points. How good is he? Yeah. Oh, there's your all-star. Yeah. And like, that's how you think about basketball. We don't have mm-hmm. to have a conversation. That's the way I think about it. It's like, if, if you think about basketball, you go, well, how many points did he score? Well, all right. Well, Man, you go to your barber shop and have your have your basketball conversation there, but you know, it's it's kind of like it's one of those things where I know it, it, coaches talk about this all the time about the things that end up winning that don't show up in a box score, and then you have someone who's literally elite at it, and we're gonna hold hold them accountable for things that do show up in a box score. It's just kind of ridiculous on some level to me. Um, on that note, on that note, I mean, I have some stats here um, in the early going, small sample size. Box but score like, stats. <laughs> this is this is not box score stats. I mean, this is actually like next level thinking, not Neanderthal about uh, the game of basketball. This is true shooting percentage of Warriors players with Draymond Green on the floor versus when Draymond's off the floor. So this season, small sample size, of course, but this is a trend that's happened for years. Um, but just to give you an idea of the impact of Draymond being out there, Stephen Curry's true shooting percentage with Draymond Green on the floor this season, 79%. When he's on the bench, 59%. So Steph, 79 to 59 with Draymond. Kelly Oubre, 58% Draymond on the floor, 32% Draymond off the floor. Wiseman, 56 with Draymond on the floor, 50 with Draymond off the floor. Wiggins, 57 with Draymond off the floor, 49 with Draymond off. Like, he just makes other people better. And it might be just, you might say it's, hey, it's just guys are coming out of a slump. But like, when you watch the film, 
He's directing traffic. He's getting out in the open court because he knows that like this team is so much harder to guard when you have to account for Steph in the open floor in transition. And it's just the numbers bear it out that he makes people better just by virtue of knowing where they're supposed to be and getting them the ball in the spots that they need it. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, if you're watching closely, you see where the eyes of players go when something goes wrong. And when he's on the floor, their eyes go to him pretty quickly because he's going to be the loudest critic and he can have some <laughs> tough conversations that really coach Kerr doesn't want to have, you know, and, and Draymond can have those conversations on the floor with guys. And so, like I said, there's definitely another level of accountability when he's out there and it's just little things. And, and there's little things that he does, you know, angles of screens, timing on screens, helping the helper, making sure that, you know, we're looking two and three passes ahead from where the ball is now. Things that, that, you know, honestly, Ubre Wiggins and, and certainly Wiseman have never had to think about before. And now when you have this type of movement, because, you know, even the past two nights, Steph's getting doubled, they're switching. There was one point last night at the end of the first half where he got tripled and still ended up on the free throw line with three free throws and they chased him everywhere and he still got it up, you know, so he's seeing a lot of new aggressive looks. So, you know, I think uh, Portland was picking him up 94 feet with, with Derek Jones Jr. The other night, I'm not sure what good that did other than it got him in rhythm early because he got going fast. Um, I saw but, one you know, possession where Gary Trent was actually uh, hands up behind Steph trying yeah, to contest that does either. And then, and then Steph, <laughs> Steph leaned into a floater, and I was like, "You're just giving him that shot, like, yeah, yeah." Um, yeah so that's in case he wants to go back and shoot this way. <laughs> that's you something Trey, he's doing. That's what Trey Young's doing right now. Trey, you know, he's jumping back into people. I, I see every head coach he plays really happy about that right now. That, that, that he's getting that call. <laughs> is that a basketball that. play? Where do you fall on this, Brandon? Is that a basketball play or not? You know, the thing are you is, teaching that? Are you teaching that with I, your guys? you'll teach it if they continue to call it that way, but I don't think you're going to continue to see them continue to call it that way because you're jumping into the defender's space, which is the same thing. If you're jumping forward, it's a charge. If you're jumping backwards like that, you're jumping into this defender's space. So I think eventually you're going to see that maybe not this year, but possibly next year when the rules committee, you know, when they start looking at changing rules, that might become an offensive foul as well. I, I was just so shocked that of all people who complain about that movie with Steve Nash, like Steve used to do this all the time. That was your yeah. thing. <laughs> it would be like if Harden became a coach one day, I was like, you know, that step back travel. They got to call that traveling. <laughs> we got to get that out of the game. Like what? That's yeah. your move. Yeah, that was a little bit ironic for sure. It would be like St uh, Steve Kerr being like, yeah, too many threes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what it's a real-life example. It's like when uh, um, Kwai uh, landed on Zaza Pachulia's foot, and uh, some people said, well, Zaza didn't mean it. And Greg Popovich said, well, just because you didn't mean it doesn't mean it's not manslaughter. And I said, Pop, you retired the jersey of the biggest mass murder ever. And we're going to call that manslaughter. Bruce Bowen is the reason yep. why this rule even exists. Yep. He did it to so many people, and you retired his jersey. So the fact that you now are the one that's complaining about it, give me a break. Relax. Maybe I'm not saying that I'm all for this. I'm just saying you're not the one who gets to complain about it. Um, but I, I do want to ask you a question, Brandon, about mortality. The, how often does Steph think about that, about his basketball mortality? Because, you know, two, three years ago, you're winning and everything's great and awesome. And now you're 
they're trying to build their way up again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're not 27 or 28 anymore. So yeah. how often do, do those thoughts of, like, I don't have that much time to teach these guys how to play and how to win? And that, that's an interesting we, – we, spoke, we spoke about it this offseason, uh, really one of the last two or three days that we were together prior to training camp. Um, you know, he has a kind of a time frame in mind that, that he would like to continue to compete through, and it's no time soon. Um, and I would say that, you know, players evolutions as they go through their career and as they age, you know, everybody ages a little bit differently. Everybody it's kind of like, you know, I, I talk about shooting mechanics or as individuals, your fingerprint. I mean, this is kind of the same thing with players aging because it's based off of, you know, nutrition, sleep schedule, genetics. There's a lot of things that goes into this Steph, When he turns 33 later is, is still a young 33, you know, in terms of when you're looking at, um, the metrics and things that typically start to either plateau or start to drop off when players start to kind of diminish physically. He's not showing any of those signs from power output, the speed, the barbell is moving, all that stuff is still going up, up and up. Um, the speed at which he's making decisions. And we track that with technology and stuff in what, our workouts. Is, give me, is give me, give me an example of that. Like speed, of speed of what? Like, the speed of the decision. So when we, when we use, we have fit light technology and we have um, some I like some iPad games and stuff where he's given different assignments and things in terms of, if you see this, you got to make this move and you got to knock the light out or you see this. The, the stuff that I move. did in your gym, that was embarrassing. The, the lights. <laughs> and all that. Yeah. That's I mean, tough. I did this with my buddy at uh, at Brandon's gym and it's, like uh-huh. purple light dribble behind your back, orange light dribble between your legs, uh, left hand, yeah. right hand, and it was it was like dance, yeah, dance but if you evolution came, basketball style. And it was if just, you came back the next day, I bet you'd be my be- much better at it. <laughs> I would hope so, Brandon. What do you think? <laughs> it's, 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 it's a little like, nope. It's a little more complicated than that. Um, you know, <laughs> but this is you know this is how you know Stefan's approach to. Uh, improvement and how granular we're able to get because of his depth of knowledge in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where he's doing some of these drills. I can even call breathing cadences out to him. So I can say, okay, you're going to inhale for a three count. You're going to exhale for a four count And Oh, by the way, you've got these five decisions to make as well. Um, so, you know, the one thing I've always been yelling at Steph over the past few years is breathing is a skill. So we're doing a lot of breathing exercises and making sure his diaphragm is his primary mover with terms of his, his breathing. And then when you're, when you're breathing better and your brain has more oxygen, you're able to make decisions quicker. So you can offset a lot of these things and you can control your heart rate, which he does a little bit better uh, when you really learn how to breathe and really learn how to make decisions. And you can push those that physical decline that typically happens, you can push that further off into the future by continuing to train your brain, continuing to push that because everybody has a physical ceiling that we all hit, right? Your brain never has that ceiling though. Your brain can continue to develop and you can get faster and you can get sharper and you can get more intelligent at all times. So as long as you're offsetting any physical, you know, diminishing in terms of speed, but you're offsetting it with increased and more accurate speed uh, from a decision-making standpoint, you can stay really sharp and really good in the NBA for a long, for a long time if you're a really skilled guy. Brandon, do you, how much of this, these tactics that you guys use, how much do you think is, can be universally applied to the generic NBA caliber athlete? And how much of this is, man, we're able to 
dig and do some crazy things because Steph is just wired in a way that is receptive to this. It's it's Steph is wired in a way that's receptive to it. You know, it, it I've told him from day one, starting 10, 11 years ago, however, it's, it's been a long time now. You have to be willing to look past the drill and you have to be able to understand the depth of improvement that can come from every drill. Because once you do that, you can become very detailed about your approach. Everything We build everything from the ground up. So we start with arch activation, talking about big toe, pinky toe and heel and how that's affecting, you know, what we're doing there first. And then we move up the chain so we can, you know, we work on everything from the ground up and from the top of the head down and we got to meet in the middle. Um, and when you do that and you have a player that, that is genuinely interested in learning more about his body and a guy that went through a lot of injuries and he had to learn a lot about his body to go through the rehabs that he's gone through, you can, you can cover a lot of ground quickly. And I say this to every young NBA player that I start working with and every person, every college kid that thinks he's an NBA player. The one thing that Stephen Curry has always done better than everybody else that I've ever worked with is he asks the best questions. He asks questions and he genuinely wants the information and he takes the information and digs deeper for himself. So when you have somebody who wants, you know, has the the hunger and the desire for the knowledge as much as they have the hunger and the desire for the improvement, you can do a lot of things because now we're to the point to where if you're in my workouts with Steph, we're not talking a whole lot because it's a lot of one word, you know, ankle, hip, hmm. you know, ears over shoulders, nose behind. It's a lot of quick things. You held your breath, you know. Speed up. It's a lot of really quick things. Whereas if you were in a workout with my younger guys, it's a lot of stop and, you know, let's look at really what's going on here. And you're having to talk about things from the ground up. Are most NBA players wired that way? Not at all. Not at all. Most guys are really, you know, come in. I'm going to work out the way I've always worked out. And I'm going to feel prepared. And there are some guys that are just that physically talented and they can get away with it. But when you're dealing with a player that's not physically superior night in and night out to the person in front of them, they have to have a deeper process that they go through in order to get better. And then you see that process starting to, to show itself on the floor. So even last night while I'm watching Steph, when he's making all the moves to shoot, these are all combinations that are things that we've worked on for years. And it mm-hmm. is five basic space creating concepts combined with four different ball handling concepts. And you just build them like Legos. You can put them together in any way you want. And it's just so funny because I even put on one of the, I don't, I don't really get on Instagram a, a whole lot, but one of the, the warriors fan sites put one of the videos out last night. I was like, man, I've, I've seen that a few times and, and it's the first <laughs> time I've seen it in a game, but I've seen it a few times in workouts. So, it was on Bagley. I know it was on Bagley. It was on Bagley. It was on Bagley. It was on Bagley at the left corner in the first half. A left wing, excuse me, in the first half. Yeah. Um, you know, but you can see the things we do day in and day out in his game, and that's kind of the first thing that a lot of people that they come and work out with me for the first time and say, like, oh. Well, now this makes sense. That's why he does this. And that's why he does that. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, we have a lot of purpose in what we do day in and day out. I I guess, you know, part of my question wasn't necessarily about the guys who aren't, don't have the curiosity or the same Mm -hmm. motivation, but what about the guys who do and simply just can't do it? Like it just doesn't click. I remember like Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco a long time ago, he was talking about, trying to be the best wide receiver he could be and how he uh, he studied 
everything that Jerry Rice did, his diet, his workout regimen, his off-season regimen, it's everything. It's like I did everything that this guy does, and yet there's still something missing. And yeah. and I remember like watching him talk about this and truly feel like tortured. Like sure. I can't do it. Why can't I do it? Why why if I follow the same recipe, why does my spaghetti sauce not taste like the sure. best spaghetti sauce of all time? How much well, of that is, I guess, is is that of it's it's just staff. And even if you wanted to do it, and even if you were again, that's why I'm not talking about high school kids or or schmoes like uh like Tom. I'm talking about the elite oh. caliber athletes. Yeah. <laughs> the elite caliber athletes who just there's a gap there. Well, so what where the gap comes from, and and this is what we base all player development off of, at least I do. And you know, I, I kind of go back to it, and I, I like to use the everybody's process and is as individuals, their fingerprint. It's, it's kind of mm-hmm. the same way. So the thing that that Chad Johnson probably wasn't taking into account is that his personal limitations, whether it be mental, physical, injury-related, his limitations were not the same as Jerry Rice's limitations. So we work and we develop all of our all of our you know skill acquisition and all of our speed and agility are all based off of that person's individual limitations. The goal of the trainer is to take those limitations and either get them diminished as much as we possibly can, or if I just can't get rid of that limitation, I got to learn how to work around it in a way that makes mm. sense to help that player be the best version of themselves. So a lot of that is. You have to be a person that is willing to look in the mirror every day and say, I don't do this well, and I need to do this better so that, and then you have to be able to notice what the domino effect is, because if I do this better, then all of this gets better and I can accomplish this. And if you, if you aren't willing to look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm not where I need to be in this area getting better at a quick rate at a high level becomes very difficult because these are guys that are already at the top of the, you know, there's only 400 of these guys in the world. They're all pretty damn good. And, you know, the guys that are able to make big leaps and big changes from the time they get in the NBA until the time they are done are the guys that are able to be honest with themselves on a day in and day out basis. And they were able to say, listen, I'm not doing this as well as I need to do it. And they're also the guys that can look deeply through their process and say, I have gotten better here. And they can start to stack these incremental improvements, these incremental gains that it might not seem like much day one, day two, day three, day four, but you get 30, 40, 50 days in a row of incremental improvements. That's a pretty big gain. And so you have to be really detailed and you have to be very thorough and well thought out about your process. And you can't say, well, Jerry Rice did it. So it works. No, that worked for Jerry Rice. Hmm. What works for Steph is is very different than what works for most guys. So I can't take everybody that I work with and say, well, Steph does this. So I tried that. Hmm. I tried that early in my career with NBA guys. And I thought everybody was going to be Steph. Hmm. And I thought I could do the same things there. And I learned quickly, it's not them that's wrong. It's hmm. me that's wrong. Right. I'm the problem. I've got to make sure that I'm taking everybody as an individual case and we have to do what's best for that individual. And they're all starting at different places. And oh, by the way, where they're starting each offseason changes as well, because physically guys get stronger, guys get hurt. There's micro and there's all these different things mm. that come into play that adjust your starting point the next offseason um, that tell you where you need to take the player. So um, 
when you look at the stat line or watch the film on Steph's 62 point night, what is the thing, mm-hmm. Brandon, that you were like, yes, yes, that is what I wanted to see out of Steph this year? Or maybe it's a stat or something from that performance that you watched and said, okay, this is a different year or this is, this is peak Steph. Getting to the rim, getting the free throw line. Those are the two things that if he can do that, you know, 19 free throws, I certainly don't expect that to happen, you know, night in and night out. But if he can get to the free throw line eight to 10 times a game, and if he can get, you know, four, three to four buckets a game around the rim, boy, that, that, that basket's going to get really big from 23 to 24 feet. It's going to get really big, really fast. And um, again, when you're scoring at multiple levels, you become very difficult to guard. You know, they when they start hugging you and you get by them, when they try to roll, you know, they try to slide shot blockers across the lane, you're able to control them and put them on one side of the rim and finish on the other side of the rim. You get really difficult to guard. So the more he's able to do that, I think the more uh, success they're going to have as a team because they can't just rely on perimeter shooting. They just, they don't have enough of it outside of him. It's the thing with CJ McCollum where I'm like, man, the dude's a 95% free throw shooter. How come he can't get to the line more? How come he can't expand that, that, part of his game or in some ways Steph is trying to lean into that too is like man if I if I'm going to shoot 100% from the free throw line I got to figure out a way to get there more um it's hard to do it's very <laughs> taxing I mean, it's, it's hard to it go would be- there and get hit I mean it's not easy and you know there's a level of conditioning that is required uh that not many people have to be able to get up and down the floor defend on one end you know, try to create space on the perimeter on this end and then have to get to the basket. And oh, by the way, there's somebody a whole lot bigger and heavier than you coming to hit you at the same time. It's just hard to do. And it's, uh, there's a level of mental toughness that has to be acquired to get to the point to where you can do that a lot. I imagine there's got to be like an equilibrium point, right? Of enough to get to the free throw line enough, but not too much to where now I'm physically taking a beating. Well, yeah, and that's the one where you know, Steph has just an amazing grasp on his body. Like he knows, I mean, just from it's just little things like, you know, I'll ask him, how much do you weigh today? And he's I, I swear it's the craziest thing without even stepping on a scale. He's within like a tenth of a pound. I mean, you know, point one point. It's, it's the crazy. It's it's insane. At any it's funny. And, and but he knows. um he just has a good feel for his body. So he knows when it's time to hit the brakes and when, you know, when he needs to give himself a possession or two, and then when he can step back on it, probably better than anybody in the league, just because he's just that in touch with his body. Um, and, and that helps him a lot. That's fucking insane. <laughs> it's cra- it, it's the, it's the weirdest thing, but it, it's been something that he's done for years now. And he's just, he's just right on the money with it. You don't even need to ask him anymore. It's just like whatever he's. I've, I've, I've just given up. He just knows. You know, he'll tell me when he's in a bad place, <laughs> um, which, is, which is never. I, I kind of felt like the other day when Steph hit the video was released by the Warriors of Steph hitting 105 three pointers in a row, that it was almost like, oh, you forgot about Dre. It was like everyone's everyone's talking this about me. Uh, don't forget I can still do this. Like there's a little bit of me that almost had a moment of like, was this like archive footage that they just decided to release now just to be like, Hey, Steph, Steph ain't going anywhere. But when you're as a trainer, you're watching that video, what's going through your head, your reaction. Um, I'm, I'm happy he's making the shots. 
um, as a trainer, I'm, I'm sitting there wishing, well, I wish you would at least alternate range or something. Don't just stand in the same spot and, <laughs> and shoot over and over again. But, you know, uh, when, when you get in rhythm like that, it is fun to see the ball go through the basket a lot like that. So I don't, I don't blame them because they weren't having a whole lot of fun at the time. That was, um, I believe, was that before or after Chicago? They were in Chicago when he was shooting. I can't remember if it was before or after the Chicago game, but, um, I think it was before. So yeah. I know they weren't having a lot of fun there. So I know he probably wanted to have something to smile about, but, uh, but for me, no, I like to, we like to move. We like to do how we act by different launch points. We don't like to shoot a lot of the same shots over and over again, but, but it is fun to watch. What, what is the, what is the single feat that you've seen Steph do behind closed doors that you always think about? Like, I can't believe he just did that. Uh, we have a drill we call perfection. And the way the drill works and, and we had just, yeah, uh, we have a drill we call perfection and, and we did it one time in London and it, and it just, it didn't seem, and we, we had somewhere to be, we had to be in Paris or no, we were coming from, I can't remember, it was, it was, we were going around the world, but. Uh, He'd probably be able had, to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. He would be able to tell me. I can't remember where we were coming from or going to. That was a crazy two week stretch we went on there, but. Well, we, we have a game called perfection. And what it is, is it's, it's seven spots and you have to hit a three. You have to hit a two. You have to hit a three. You have to hit a two all the way around and all the way back. You can't miss. If you miss, we start over again. Then you have to go to the free throw line. You have to make 10 consecutive free throws, but six of them cannot touch the rim. If you hit, you hit 10 in a row, but five of them touch the rim, we're starting over again. And I don't bend you know, when, once we put the rules in place, once we say what we're doing, that's what we're doing. And, um, Stefan's manager at the time was there and he'd been around a lot of NBA players. And we probably did this for a solid hour and just, you know, we would get to the end and we would start We had to start again and get to the end, you know, but he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And there's just like this toughness to where even I was sitting there thinking like, man, I don't know if this was going to happen today. We might get stuck in London because we're not, we're not leaving. He won't leave until we, until he gets done. So, but finally he got through it. I don't think the ball touched the rim once mm. on any of the, on any of the shots around and back on any of the free throws. I swear. I don't think it touched once. And it was, that was the most amazing. And that was after I'm telling you about an hour of trying to get through the, the game. He just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then he got just ultra dialed in and is like a machine. That's that's the and, shit. That's the shit because I don't I don't want this to be lost on any of the listeners. It's not that he finally did it. It's that he did it after an hour of doing this where you get tired, where you start to you get mentally fatigued. The idea that he would zero in and be able to be perfect. He's getting mad at me. He's getting mad at me at the same time. <laughs> you know, there's there's all that. There's all that. Um, you know, and this this is at the end of a workout. So we'd already worked out. We'd gone through our full you know, and this was uh, an Asian European tour that we went on that was really kind of close to training camp. So we had real workouts we had to get through. These weren't, you know, made for appearance type workouts. We were really working out, um, getting ready for the season. And then this was at the end of a workout and, and he just, he kept going. Whereas most players would have checked out. I mean, that, that's just, just too tough. I mean, did you see the latest in the uh, Sacramento Kings world? Oh, bring me up to speed. Surely everything's going great. Uh, they are taking the league by storm. Yep. Home court advantage is in play. 
you know, hell, what about the home court advantage? That finals berth right around the corner, right? Everyone's wah, happy. Wah. Wow. Yeah, the uh, Sacramento Kings, um, there's parent feuds going on. Apparently the other night, uh, Marvin Bagley's dad tweets out um, basically asking for a trade out of Sacramento from Marvin Bagley. Team Bagley signed by Coach Bagley, I believe it was, right, I mean? Yeah, signed by love Coach Bagley, and he and he and he added the Sacramento Kings social media account. And I was surprised that they didn't have a witty American Ninja Warrior clip to respond with. Oh, you just gonna ignore it and hope it goes away, which it did because he deleted the tweet. So that's the end of it, isn't it, Tom? It, it is not. Oh no, it is not. Uh, it turns out De'Aaron Fox's father jumped in too and said essentially trade him. And De'Aaron Fox's dad's name is Aaron Fox. Did you know that, Brandon? I love it. I did not. I did not. That's interesting. Did you name your kid DeBrandon? I didn't. I didn't. I should have thought about that, though. I should have. But uh, Uh, Tom. Yes? De'Aaron Fox's dad being named Aaron Fox is number three on my all-time most interesting fun facts about NBA player names in their family. Would you like to hear the other two guys? I would love nothing more than to hear number one and number two, because I don't know how much how you could possibly top so, that. Number three, De'Aaron Fox's dad is named Aaron Fox. Number two, Paul George's dad is named Paul George. Paul George's mom is named Paulette George. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, the number one spot, the number one spot in interesting NBA family player names. O.J. Mayo's name is Ovinton Anthony Mayo. That's what the O.J. stands for. His brother's name is Todd. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Who's the older brother? O.J. Yeah, they were just like, you know what? They were like, you know what? (laughs) Todd. (laughs) Todd. Um, that was that was definitely a parental argument. Was the dad was like, let's let's call him this like elaborate name, and the mom on the next one was just like, you know what? It's just Todd. Can we just please call him Todd? Here, give um, me that birth certificate, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, it, it is not over. De'Aaron Fox's father chimes in, says, trade him. Yes, get rid of him. And then De'Aaron Fox tweets out, Jesus Christ. Then there's this other thing that uh, Jason Jones, who covers the Sacramento Kings, great beat writer for uh, for The Athletic, basically tweeted out the quote from De'Aaron Fox, which sounds a lot like what you were teaching him, Amin, the other week. I feel like the Oprah gif where she just kind of like looks at the camera and just like, there you have it. Uh, Yeah. what, What did he say, Tom? Do you have that up or should I should I read this for you? I got it here. So, um, so De'Aaron Fox has this, uh, quote and Jason Jones tweets it out, uh, last night. The quote is, I don't think anybody's out there playing basketball worried about two tweets. And if you are, this ain't what you should be doing because motherfucker is going to tweet you every day of your life while you're playing Mm -hmm. in this league. Sign De'Aaron Fox. Every day of your life, huh? Wow. (laughs) <laughs> Amin El Hassan, Brandon, just to keep uh, catch you up to speed. Amin El Hassan went on the jump and com- and said on a uh, on a John Morant highlight said John Morant is who De'Aaron, De'Aaron Fox yeah. thinks he is. 
And then someone yeah. tagged De'Aaron Fox on Instagram, and then De'Aaron Fox and Amino Hassan went back and forth. But in that back and forth on social media, which went from platform to platform, it wasn't just Twitter or so uh, or Instagram. It was both platforms. He might have been on TikTok. That's when it goes big. I don't know. So Amin, Amin says basically, <laughs> hey, man, like you should be worried about on the court stuff. You shouldn't worry about me. I'm nobody. Focus on the game. And then De'Aaron Fox a week later is saying, I don't, I don't know who's, who's getting all uh, wrapped up on, on tweets, right? Except this is exactly what De'Aaron Fox was doing uh, two weeks with some Joe Schmo, Amin Hassan. But I, I want to ask you, Brandon, is like how much of dealing with elite athletes these days is just managing the family side of it because you deal with it in Charlotte, you deal with it just with NBA players too, is just trying to manage expectations and manage what the mom or the dad has to say or a cousin or whatever it is. Man, you know, this, all this starts at a really young age and it, it doesn't seem to stop. And that's kind of the crazy thing is I, I don't recall hearing a lot about parents, you know, kind of dating myself here uh, in the early nineties, early to mid nineties. I don't remember Charles Oakley's parents coming out and complaining or any, you know, or, or my, you know, any, any, any of those guys, it, it just didn't happen. then. so this is something as, as parents have become really ultra involved in players careers and, and, and how they develop coming up and, you know, it, it, to me, it all kind of starts with, you know, we're ranking seven, eight, nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds. And, you know, they, they start to get really competitive and, and they get really involved. And now you see kids that hop from one team to the next team. And, you know, they don't like the way, you know, the ball moves with this team this week and they move to another team. And that just keeps going up. You know, it, it was all, it's always kind of been there in high school it's gotten more prevalent in college. And now you're even seeing it at the NBA level, which to me is amazing. And I, I, I go back to it, no matter how unhappy you are as a parent or quite honestly, as a player in the NBA, you always have to ask yourself one question. Are the checks still clearing? And if they're still clearing, there's not a whole lot of complaining that needs to be done. John Draper, um, that's what the money's for. Yeah. yeah. That's right. You know, so, you know, parents, the thing is when you're a parent, you're not there every day. You don't know what's going on in practice every day. You don't know what's going on in the meetings every day. You're just, you're no more than a fan really. So it's, it's kind of difficult to, to pass judgment and, and to have a lot of harsh words when you're not in the building every single day, because that's what determines everything that happens in those games is what's going on in those buildings. And if you're not there and if you're not a part of it, you don't really have the frame of reference you need to be extremely critical because you're only getting one side of the story. You're getting the player's side of the story. But, but Brandon, I want to ask you, uh, you know, I want to ask me this. Something you said at the beginning of this is about like Charles Barkley and back in my day. How much of this, I mean, is just Marvin Bagley's dad has a Twitter account that he can blast an opinion to mm-hmm. millions of people that Charles Oakley's dad might have felt these things, but he simply didn't have technology at his yeah. fingertips to espouse True. his feelings about those. Like how much of this is a technology question versus a generational uh, cultural change? So, yeah. So family members having strong opinions as old as, as sports. That's always existed, and they're always going to be. It's always will exist. Uh, when we talk about the technology, I remember at Charlotte All Star Game. I was uh, All Star Weekend. I was at the this 
panel where Mike Wimbon and Michael Jordan were having this conversation. I think this was at the Tech Summit, but I'm, I'm not sure. And Wilbon asked Michael about like, oh, do you hate it how nowadays all these guys are best friends and you didn't have friends back in your days and stuff like that? And Michael Jordan was like, not really, because part of it is just the environment there is that, first of all, they all see each other on the AU circuit since they were in high school and stuff. He said, I didn't see guys from out of state until my junior year in high school. All I knew were guys in North Carolina growing up until he went to five-star, I think. That was the first time he saw players from, from other, uh, other parts of the country. And then he said, by the time I got to the league, I had players that I was friends with. I was friends with Patrick Ewing. But if I wanted to talk to Patrick Ewing, like, it, it's not like now where I could just pick up the phone and say, hey, Pat, what's going on? How's your game tonight? So, you know, I caught a little bit of it. Da, 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 da. It's like, I'm in a hotel room. I got to look in the newspaper and say, where are the Knicks? Are they, are they on the road or are they at home? They're on the road. I got to guess what hotel he's in. Call and, you know, say, hey, can you connect me with room 503? And then even then, maybe he's not there. Maybe he doesn't pick up. It's like the technology made it so I couldn't be buddy-buddy with Patrick Ewing every day, even though that was my friend. Uh, I only saw him sparingly. And so I agree with you, Tom. I think I think parents have always been crazy. They're always going to be crazy. They're always going to think that their kid got screwed over or whatever. The, that, the family room is a weird place because it's a place where many of the tensions that family room in the players, NBA, 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 NBA. Explain what that Cause you think about it. Okay. So, so every NBA arena on game day, they have a room called the family room. That is where wives, girlfriends, mothers, fathers, children all congregate. It's their own sacred little space. There's a nice spread. There's usually a little play area for the little kids. There's some babysitters. If they want to take the kids down to the practice court and, you know, work off some energy, whatever. Right. But again, wives, girlfriends, mothers, fathers, they're all in this room, but siblings too, they're all there and they're interacting with one another. And ostensibly, we're all here together as a team. We support the team. But there are individual agendas at play that players are conditioned professionally. I might feel a certain way, but I'm not going to be talking about it all the time. When I walk in that locker room, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll conduct myself in a professional manner. But when I go home, I might complain to my wife, girlfriend, other man, I can't believe this. Man, I can't believe that. And then this person takes what, what Brandon just said. All you know is what the player told you. They take this as gospel. That's what's happening. You're getting, he's getting screwed over. And you walk in that family room and you see the mother, father, wife, or girlfriend of the person who is allegedly screwing your guy over. You say, hey, man, you know, da 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 And so I can't remember where I was when we were talking about this. In every family room, you need someone from within the family room to police it <laughs> in a way. <laughs> For us in Phoenix, yeah. it was Grant Hill's wife. It was Tamia Hill. Tamia understood that we're here and we got to have positive energy towards what's happening. Whatever arguments or whatever slights you think, you don't bring it into this building. You Man, I can imagine that room. room would be super tense and just like uptight. Ours was great. Ours was great. Everybody loved everybody. And a big part of it was because if there was any, and that happened sometimes where a young player's girlfriend would say something, oh, I can't believe they're putting that bum in front of my baby or whatever. And Tamia would have to have the talk. And it's like getting called into a principal's office and she's the scariest principal of all time. I'm not, I, to this, the funniest thing, when I started doing TV, Tamia said, how's he going to do TV? He never talks. 
And Grant looked at her like, he won't shut up. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so, so, so she's like, well, he never says anything around me. And I was like, that's because he's scared of you. And it's true. I'm ter- I'm, to this day, I'm terrified of Tamir. I'm, I'm scared of her. But point being, like now, you know, back then Twitter was just an early thing and like not everyone was on it. But now, as you point out, everyone's got it. And so when Marvin Bagley's dad, Marvin Bagley Jr., or Marvin Bagley II, I don't know which one it is, um, when he's frustrated, when he sees his, 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 his kid not play well or look frustrated or whatever, I ain't got to keep this in-house or even go to the family room to start some shit. I can just tweet it. And to me, this becomes a question of going back to kind of what, I don't know if we, we were talking about this before we started recording or what, but like the idea of how much should social media be on the radar of a player, right? Because now very clearly you got two players, De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley, who have to deal with something that occurred in the social media space. And, and it's just like, uh, you know, I, I, that's why I'm interested for Brandon. Like, forget about how do you deal with overzealous parents? How do you deal with now a, a very young NBA player demographic who grew up on this stuff to tell them, now you need to turn that off. You need to not listen to that. You need well, to not pay attention to that. And, yeah. and Brandon, Steph Curry was dealing with this last week. Oh, I get, I get it too. Yeah. You should see some of the things that I get sent to me, you know, you know, I've got people that think they can coach me to coach Steph and to tell Steph what to do. So, I, you know, if they lose, <laughs> I, I can, I can assure you, I'm going to have about 30 or 40 messages of, yeah. Oh, I told you to tell Steph this. I told you, know, some of that. So it's kind of interesting. Um, some of the things that, that get sent to you, but you know, it, it is increasingly <laughs> difficult for young guys to, you know, kind of block out the noise and that's really all it is is noise it's not you know it it doesn't have any effect on what you do on the floor or what you do in the building day in and day out it's just it's just noise that quite frankly young guys they don't they shouldn't be dealing with it too much but it's just a reality it's a part of what they you know it's part of their business it's part of their brand and you know I would hope that most of those guys um, have people that are kind of monitoring it for them so they're not living in it day in and day out, you know, most of that stuff, uh, those, those accounts get monetized now in different ways. They have sponsors, they're doing, you know, advertising posts on there. I would hope that a lot of those guys turn to their agent or their management team to kind of handle that for them, especially in season off season. It's totally understandable. They're kids. They, you know, they're young people. They've grown up on this. It's a big part, but you know, part of your responsibility as a player is, is to be locked in and be focused for 72 games this year. And I would hope that a lot of those guys, I know they're not, but I would hope that their, their management team would eventually say, Hey, we, we probably need to kind of take control of this for right now. And then, you know, once the season is back over, you're, you're back in control. Of it. How much of, how much of a player's temperament do you think if you could do a pizza pie, pizza slice of how much their temperament going into a workout, do you think is impacted or dictated by how much they've spent just on their, on their phone hmm. or social media? Well, I mean, it, it's, you know, they take that stuff personally. If there, if there's, you know, it doesn't even have to be necessarily something that's, that's posted about them. It can be something that's posted about a player that they like to compare themselves to, or they like, you know, and so it can, you know, with the young guys, I see it, it does weigh on them. Things can, can get to them, especially the, the worst <laughs> situation is, is pre-draft. When you're going through the pre-draft process, mm-hmm. 
and the mock drafts are changing and you know this guy's rising on a mock draft and this guy's falling i'm sitting there having mm. to tell him like listen this is an agent that's really cl close with this guy that's <laughs> doing the mock draft and they're moving around they're asking for favors and things it's not because you didn't perform well it's not because we're not putting enough on social media for you it's just because this is the politics of the nba draft and and there's a lot that goes into it and it has nothing to do with you as a player is a team and an agent are trying to get something accomplished prior to the draft and and guys are starting to move up and down and you have to understand that but that with the pre-draft process is where social media can be very explosive uh in a player's day-to-day -day work process because that stuff they're still 18 19 years old and you know for any parent out there with any teenager teenager you know how much things can can stick in your in your child's mind and, and this stuff really really bothers them now with Stefan, you know it, did he really take it personally him. do you think he took it personally when he when he said right he me he was like <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah. no yeah no he's not that stuff's not gonna bother him in a workout but you see that once or twice when you're the two-time mvp three-time world champ yeah you're gonna get pissed and i don't blame him because it's ridiculous is it, does the source matter? Um, there's some people that we would blow off. There's some people that you don't really put a lot of uh, put a lot of weight behind their opinion. But when you see something that gets posted and it's reposted and it's reposted and it's aggregated and reposted, you know, eventually you're just like, "That's nah, okay. I've heard enough. I've seen enough, and it's time to shut some people up." I mean, it, it's it'll never end. Like we're still doing the legacy thing with MJ. <laughs> which is of, of all absurdities that one's pretty high up there because there really is no in my mind there's no like no matter what lebron does in his playing career like he will still have to answer to legacy questions forever and ever and that's but does that diminish his greatness does the fact that we're having a legacy conversation and we're comparing lebron to mj they're both great the greatest of the great <laughs> Does it does it really matter? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it gives us something to talk it about. It does, right? Brandon. It matters in the. It's, it matters everything. Everything in this world matters. Hinges on whether LeBron is actually better than Michael Jordan in this fake debate. Um, it, it, because if we're going six five games into the season and it's a referendum on Stephen Curry's legacy, and we're going back to 2014 or 2015 and saying. Hey, I knew he was a fraud in 2015 because the way he's playing with Jordan Poole. <laughs> Is self-evident oh. to the fraud status that Steph was when he was, and I'm sitting here like I feel like everyone was just waiting, was waiting for the for the guy to show some blood or to stumble a little bit, so that they can just take him out. And this is what happens. It, you know, listen, it's you can you can try as 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 hard as you want to to try to diminish anything that he's accomplished, and it it's just not going to happen. You know he's not going to let you win, and that that's he's one of the most quietly fiery competitive people I've, on this planet, and he's not going to let people win that argument. It's just not going to happen. So um, perfection. I know it, it. It probably dis disappointed a lot of people that he came out and did the things that he did the past two nights because it didn't it didn't validate their hot takes. But um, you know he's not going anywhere anytime soon and he's going to keep What's putting up big numbers. He's going to keep winning games and he's going to keep putting himself in the MVP conversation for as long as he's playing.
What's the most ridiculous thing you've heard said? N- not my people on the internet, but like of uh, on TV, of, <laughs> of some credibility. Yeah, someone of credibility. There you go. Someone on TV, I guess. The the one that I would hear over and over again from one particular uh, on air personality was, "Oh, he's got to get stronger. Oh, he's he's got to get in the weight room. He's got and 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 in my mind, I'm like, dude." This guy sets personal bests like weekly and pound for pound is one of the strongest players in NBA because for his size and he is extremely strong for years, we knew that about 196 pounds is where he feels really comfortable, where he feels fast on the floor. Mm. We had one season where we tried to get to 200 pounds. He got to 200 pounds, got the training camps like I can't move. I got to strip some of this weight (laughs) off. And so he had to get back to like 195, 196 before he felt comfortable again. So, you know, it kind of goes back to that whole thing. You're not in the building every day. You're not with us every day. You're not in our planning meetings every day. You're not in our workouts. If you're basing things off of, you know, what you think another player should do, you're, you're probably incorrect. And, you know, he's extremely strong. He's, he's strong in all the right ways in terms of being vertically stable through his core and being able to take all these bumps and still make shots and things like that. So, you know, that's probably the one thing I heard the most is, you know, oh, he's got to gain weight. Like for what? (laughs) We're not, we're not blocking downfield. We're not, you know, we're not picking up a blitzing linebacker. We're not, you know, we're not, uh, we're not in goal line situations. What's he need to gain weight for? I remember that Roy Hibbert one off season was lifting in the, uh, he was like sending out Instagram posts of him lifting a ridiculous amount of weight and he got so much bigger. And I remember a coach texting me being like, that's great for us. Like if Roy Hibbert thinks the answer to being a better basketball player is becoming more immobile. Like that's great. And not, and, it was, it was unfortunate at the time because he ended up having a lot of knee issues, but that's the kind of thing that you, when you're on TV and you're just saying, Oh, he needs to get stronger. He needs to be faster. He needs to like, you don't realize the second layer of these things. Like if Steph Curry is coming in at 200 pounds, his body might not be willing to, that's not good for his body on his joints no, he, or on his knees yeah, or he on was, his back. And that, he can't move. He wasn't fluid at that weight. And he, you know, he might've been, he might've been able to play with a little bit more levers, but he wasn't fluid. Probably the other thing that I hear a lot, you know, that I kind of just dismiss because it's, you know, oh, he can't guard anybody. He can't, he's not a good on ball defender. I'm like, man, every player in the NBA can score one-on-one. Like that that, that has nothing, you know, you don't judge players as one-on-one defenders. You judge them at how well they defend within a team defensive concept. And, you know, when you're watching Steph off the ball and when you're watching him try to blow up actions before they happen and you're watching him be very disruptive, within a team defensive concept, like that's where his real value defensively lies. Like we can have one-on-one games all day and there's not going to be many stops. If you, if you're lining up a bunch of NBA players, like these guys are just machines when it comes to scoring the basketball, you know, so that's why you don't see me on on social media very much because I'd probably be very combative. And uh, so I, I just choose to stay away from it altogether because, you know, the world doesn't need me uh, arguing with people that, that aren't, you know, in our day-to-day operation. That's like, I, I just love, yeah, go ahead of me. Oh, I just love the idea of that. 196, perfect. 200? Oh, so heavy. It's, <laughs> like, I know, it was four pounds. Fuck up everything. <laughs> it, it, it's the craziest thing because it, it's something that we, you know, everyday people, we can't really relate to it. 
But I mean, that's when I say he's in tune with his body, like that's how much of a difference yeah. it made. Like he's like to the tenth of a pound. It's like, oh man, and he knows it too. He can tell you, and it's, it's it's so, you know. But that four four or five pounds can make a big difference when you're you know when you start that multiply that over the amount of steps and how many times you change directions in an NBA game. That extra four or five pounds is is going to start to add up on you pretty quickly. Wear a weighted vest in your next workout. Next time you do some some dynamic uh, cardio, wear a five pound weighted vest to get back to me. On remember that, that trend? Where, yeah, <laughs> did that trend die as quickly as I remember? Is wearing like weights on your ankles and going through basketball practice? Weights oh, on your man. ankles is a very bad idea. <laughs> yeah, remember that? That's, oh, that's a very bad high idea. school boy. Absolutely, like I'll be so much faster when I take these weights off. <laughs> your, your knees will be cussing you out you know, five minutes into the workout. <laughs> oh, such a bad idea. I remember uh, it was either middle school or high school where the coach was like, your career is going to be over in like six months if you keep wearing those things. Like, I was like, why? It, it makes sense. Like when you lift, you want to add more weight and all this stuff. And he was like, man, it, th that stuff is so bad for you. It wasn't good. <laughs> all right, Brandon Payne, let you go here. Um, where can people find you on that lovely social media that we've been talking about? Where you can find me on social media is primarily on Instagram and that's at coach Brandon Payne. And, you know, I post some things from stuff, workouts from time to time, but most of the time it's just, uh, it's just basketball information and it's, you know, hopefully people get something out of it and can learn a little bit about the game from it. And soon enough, I'll be in that gym, gym to, uh, to work on my my uh, basketball skills so I can actually improve on that. That stuff is, I mean, that yeah, stuff we'll is to, so hard, man. Like, we'll have to I, hold I, a mean I, in as well. We'll have to get a oh, mean in there as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I've got enough embarrassing videos <laughs> on the internet. Like, I don't even know what I mean. Not being able to, to tell colors or something. That was blue, right? No, that was hey, purple. Oh, okay. You want to talk about videos that, that, that should belong on social media? I have a video of Ethan Strauss absolutely knocking shot after shot oh no i don't want down. that i'm i'm dead really serious so the next time you guys want to look at a video of somebody that's really just stroking shot after shot i can put a video of ethan strauss right beside it until his arms were about to fall off just throwing the ball at the basket and i mean it was net 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 <laughs> until he couldn't move his arms i i kid you not this is crazy because Beckley Mason, another one of our in our little circle here, beat Stefan in a, in a shooting competition for the the degree promote promo tour or whatever it was. <laughs> okay, like they were like, let's ask these sports writers to come in here and try to beat Steph Curry in a shooting competition. And Beckley Mason rolls up and he's like, let's go, and he beat him <laughs> straight up, beat him in like a like an around the world type uh, shooting shooting drill, and he wrote about like when it. For Kevin Hart did. Yeah, it's kind of like when Kevin Hart uh, tied Draymond at the All-Star weekend, but Draymond yeah. still got the trophy. <laughs> That's one of those things. Yeah. I got I got, I got, got Goran Dragic on his patented up and under. I did the same thing to him, and he fucking Ooh, did it. Nice. Only wasn't, nice. wasn't on video. I, I ran out of the gym after that, though. Yeah, I was like, like, did done. he deck you on the next time down the floor? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I, I literally left the gym. No, I was like, oh, it's all good. <laughs> Brandon, thanks oh, for joining us, Good man. I uh, appreciate you. We'll we'll have you on because I want to talk to you more about the the G League setup and you know what what top prospects when they're 18 years old what they do now in 2021. Um, sure, happy to do it. Yeah.